Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer or artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field, along with contest winners and a few surprise guests. Today, I'm very happy to have our first bookstore owner all the way out from Joshua Tree, California. Welcome, Jean-Paul Garnier. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here. We met originally, I think, for, at least for myself, on a post that you made on Instagram and uh, it just built up from there. And then I found out when talking to Joni Labaki, the Writers of the Future contest director, that you've been a long-term friend of Writers of the Future. So before I get all the different uh, too late on the chain, let's start from the beginning. So welcome and uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Thank you. It's an honor to be here talking with you. Um, so I've worn a lot of hats throughout yeah. my life. Uh, today, I'm a bookstore owner that specializes in science fiction, which is an absolute dream come true. Uh, back in, uh, so the store opened in January of 2016. We've been open for about five years mm -hmm. now. But shortly before that, uh, around middle of 2014, I'd, I'd been a writer most of my life, but I decided to dedicate my life to writing science fiction. And... Uh, I received an honorable mention for one of my first serious attempts at writing science fiction from Writers of the right. Future. So my career in sci-fi Writers of the Future has been there alongside it from the beginning. Right. And uh, I encourage a lot of the writers I work with, the amateurs obviously, to submit because that kind of recognition and encouragement early on in your career is not only hard to come by, but extremely important. Right. And uh, receiving that honorable mention for one of my first serious attempts gave me the faith to keep going. And so writing science fiction and opening the store, for me, uh, in a way, it's my way of paying it forward because for the last 15, 20 years, I've been an obsessive science fiction fan, reading almost exclusively science fiction. And it's, it's a world that's brought me so much pleasure mm -hmm. and entertainment and philosophy and all the wonderful things that science fiction can bring that I really wanted to do something to give back to that community and opening the bookstore has been a way to do that and a way to turn people on to science fiction that haven't read science fiction. And that's one of the most wonderful experiences of having the store is to share that right. love of the field and to instill that love into people that don't know they love it yet. Well, that's great. You know, when I, when I discover people like yourself, um, I'm just so enchanted with being able, anything I can do to help one support you um, as an aspiring writer, but also, especially now that upon learning that you had a bookstore, to what can I do to help promote, you know, awareness of your bookstore, because that's a really important thing. And as an indie, um, just to show whatever support we can. So, uh, yeah. So I find that. that in the field of science fiction, there's, there's so much love and support, uh, not only between authors, but with fans and organizations that do science fiction related work. And it's one of the things that's just made it such a joy to be yeah. involved in. That's great. So, so you've been writing science fiction for what, 15 years then? Um, on and off. I, I've been a poet for most of my mm -hmm. life, and I had made some attempts to write science fiction early on that, you know, like most people earlier in their writing career, we've got some stumbling yeah. blocks and some parts to get through. And then in 2014, I decided that's what I was going to dedicate myself to do. Since then, I've published a bunch of books. I've uh, started publishing work for others. We started Simultaneous Times Podcast through the bookstore, which we've been doing for the last two and a half years. We've had 
a lot of wonderful writers, both known and unknown. And we've produced, gosh, well over 50 stories now with a musical accompaniment, a lot of times cast readings. Um, and this year I'm up for the Elgin Award. I think it's the first, uh, it's, a, it's given for best speculative poetry chapbook and or book. And I think we're the first audiobook ever nominated for wow, that. Wow, that's I was crazy. nominated for that. Yeah, nominated for that last year as well. So working my way towards there, I've been involved with the uh, Science Fiction and Fantasy Poetry Association for years. Um, wonderful, supportive community and, um, you know, recognizes the very niche field of science fiction poetry. <laughs> but again, a, a lot of love in that field. Um, so it's it's been a real pleasure to... Um, just be able to do what I want to and to explore science fiction and speculative poetry. And it, it's been a wild ride and things happened a little quicker than I expected. A, a lot of because the bookstore is a catalyst. I get to meet people like you and meet tons of wonderful authors and that unilateral support that comes from that. Um, so some exciting things. One of my uh, speculative poetry books is being translated into Portuguese right now. So, oh, great. Um, yeah, things are happening and it's, and it's a lot of fun. And, um, you know, it it forces me to be even more dedicated to the writing in the field, which is rewarding in and of itself. Yeah. So I have a question. How'd you end up in Joshua Tree? So um, that also is related to science fiction. Uh, Frank Herbert was the first science fiction writer that I fell in love with. And um, I hadn't read Dune yet. I was so naive. I didn't even know he had written Dune. You know he was a judge for Rise of the Future. Uh, yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's so many wonderful writers who've yeah. been judges. It's it's amazing. I got to go to one of the galas a few years back, and it was kind of overwhelming being in the room uh, with with all the wonderful talent there. But I read a book of his called The Eyes of Heisenberg, and that changed my life. I had been primarily reading classic literature mm -hmm. up until that point, and Eyes of Heisenberg showed me what science fiction was capable of. Of course, the next book I found was right. Dune, you know, one of the all time great works of literature in any genre. Right it made me think about the desert in a different way. You know, I grew up in Southern California, so I wasn't too far from the desert. I'd been coming out here uh, throughout my life, but um, reading that book and then coming out here, you know, the desert power and the Fremen. And then I came out here with some friends to stay for a weekend and I saw a fireball come out of the sky. You know, we have wonderful dark skies here. So you, you can, you can see space and you can't help but contemplate the cosmos right, right. as you do that. And so a combination of that fireball from the sky and reading Dune made me want to come to the desert. And it took me a few years to get here, but eventually I did and made my home here. And I, I'm really happy to be here because it's a, um, it's a small community, which comes with a different type of support that you'd find in cities. And it gave me the opportunity to open the bookshop, which I might not have been able to do elsewhere. Right. Our first year was extremely modest. We were in a little shack out in the desert and people used to come in and go a sci-fi bookstore in a shack in the middle of nowhere you're crazy you won't last a month and that was five years ago so um and and since then we've been able to expand and open a bigger storefront and um it, it's been quite a journey and a lot of fun and uh, it's a unique place because it's well there's only about eight thousand people that live here we get uh, massive amounts of tourists from all over the world. You know, it's uh, in any given day, I might be talking to science fiction fans from five or six different countries, and that's a delight. Yeah. I've been there twice for Contacting the Desert, and uh, there's a, that's a, a very interesting crowd that comes out there for that, but that's when I, 
uh, I was doing a lot of stuff with Battlefield Earth in actual fact. And uh, someone out there and Jim Mars, who passed away a few years ago, but he was one of our, he was our, our national spokesperson for Battlefield Earth. And he was also very, very familiar with all aspects paranormal. So he was one of the top build speakers there at Contact in the Desert. So that's when I went out there and met a lot of folks. And um, George Nury, you know, we were there for his birthday party because he covers the whole thing. And a lot of amazingly fun shops there, though, in Joshua Tree. That was just like, that's what I was really amazed about. We went to some various antique stores and bought some fun stuff there on the, you know, getting just... It's very unique as a, as a whole city. And I, I realize that Contacting Desert is what, about 10, 15 minutes further uh, east from Joshua Tree? Uh, yeah, it's technically, it technically was in Joshua Tree. I think last year they moved it down to the low desert. Um, so I'm not sure if it's happening up here anymore, but it's, yeah, a big event. And, um, you know, there's an interesting long-term UFO culture here sure. uh, going going back to one of the first UFO conventions held out in Landers um, by George Van Tassel. So that's a really interesting part of our local lore. And there were actually several, back in the 50s and 60s, several UFO groups out here, which you'd think, oh, you know, we're out in the middle of nowhere. But um, interesting people tend to gravitate towards this place. And we have a handful of local science fiction writers, which was a delight to, to connect with all of right. them. No, that was just, when I saw science fiction and then my experience with Contact in the Desert, I was wondering, okay, that that would make, in paranormal, that would make for a, I mean, I realize they consider it more nonfiction, but still it, it bridges that fiction, nonfiction bridge that's kind of like, some would argue one way, some would argue the other, but it, it provides at least an outlet that I'd see with your bookstore there for that that genre or subgenre on it. And we share aliens as a theme, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so as a bookstore now, so obviously from five years ago, you've grown quite a bit. I, I created that little video and posted it uh, a few days ago, and that's, that's gotten some pretty nice little comments on it and shares, but um, how is it going now? Because this whole thing with the pandemic and everything shuttered and your post on your website saying it shuttered, now you're online. How's that impacted and how are you dealing with that? So obviously this whole situation has been a bummer for most sure. people in, in just about every field. Uh, I think the independent bookstore community has done a pretty neat job of adapting to right. it. Um, the main result for me, which is the disappointing part, is I'm not interacting with my customers face to face. And on any given day in the store, I just get to talk about the love of science fiction with everybody. Right. And it's a delight. It doesn't feel like going to work. You know, I get to go geek out and that's my right. living. Um, so I'm not having the face-to-face -face contact with people that I was, which is a bummer. But that being said, i uh, stepped up our social media presence, trying to communicate with people online. We've done some online events, moved sales to online, which is, um, thank God, bookshop.org showed up right around the time the pandemic started, which saved a lot of us in mm -hmm. Uh, the uh, book industry charitable network has, has been extremely helpful as well. Um, but some things it didn't change, you know, we've been doing our podcast for years, so we we're still doing that. Uh, we're still producing tons of stories. We can't have the cast readings that we were doing, which is unfortunate because we're really into the radio arts and radio drama. Right. Uh, grew up listening to things like X minus sure. one. So I've got a soft, soft spot in my heart for yeah. that. Um, but one of the things that we decided to do as a way to adapt is 
there was a big rush for everything to happen online, understandably. But I missed connecting with people on a more personal level. So we started our print newsletter so we could keep in touch with our customers and show up in their mailbox instead of their inbox. And it's been a wonderful opportunity to, on the podcast, we, we do um, radio dramas, but we also interview the writers and composers that work on the podcast. So then the newsletter has been a wonderful opportunity for me to be able to do interviews with people that haven't written for the podcast. Like we got, you put me in touch with Mr. Farland, which was wonderful. And, um, it's been really great to experience the variety of approaches and how people feel about the field of science fiction, especially as it goes through changes. So because, and we do a lot of, we did a lot of events at the store. We have a wonderful outdoor amphitheater. So we'd have readings, film screenings, lectures, three to six times a month usually. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's been a bummer not to be able to connect with people on that personal level. But starting the newsletter has been wonderful because one of the unexpected results is I get mail in return. People send me stickers, <laughs> chat books, stories, uh, so talk about science fiction. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's a way to stay in touch in that personal way, which is, is the funnest part of the field to me. As a writer, uh, it's extremely important to talk to people because you have to listen as a writer. It's how you learn about people. It's how you learn about empathy. And it's how you learn to characterize. Yep. So um, you got to be out there talking, you know, we, we need fresh input as writers and just as people in general. Right. Um, so it's, it's been neat, you know, despite all the changes in the world that have left a lot of us scratching our heads, it's, it's neat to see how many people have been reaching out to each other in a positive way. Um, authors have offered to sign book plates for me so that I can put autographed copies in the hands of my customers and, um, you know, there, there's still a lot of love out there, even though we're not in the same room together. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's one thing we started doing with Rise of the Future. We sent book plates to all 24 winners this year and have them sign. They sent 12 back to us and they kept 12 for when we set them up with the local bookstore events. And then we can now, you know, when we do other things, we can actually have, you know, book plates for the events because they can't go there in person to do it. It's a wonderful thing, and I've seen several bookstores doing that, and it's a delight for, for the readers. You know, I've been shopping at other bookstores because, oh, the autographed copy of this is once-in-a-lifetime chance for me there. Um, and, you know, there's been a lot of neat things. Or you guys have been doing wonderful work. I've been listening to the podcast since it first came out, so it's a great honor to be on it. But also the, um, the workshop you guys put up and provided. I think I was one of the first students to sign up the day it yeah. came out. And it was so wonderful to get to study uh, with people like Orson Scott Card and Dave Farland and Tim Powers, uh, because they're such wonderful writers for starters, but but amazing teachers on top of that. And so it's it's been pretty cool to see all the resources that people are starting to put out there. It's always been a dream of mine to go to the Writers of the Future workshop. So to get a taste online was, was really amazing. Yeah, we've got, um, we just broke 3,200 people on the course, uh, I guess today or yesterday. And we got over, over 50 countries now with uh, students taking it. So we're trying to just, you know, make it up, which was the original purpose that Elwin Hubbard had when he created the contest back in 83, was to provide that means for the aspiring writer. I'm curious, how familiar were you with Elwin Hubbard as a science fiction writer when you uh, happened upon Writers of the Future? 
Uh, I was aware of his work. I had read Dianetics before. Uh -huh. I hadn't read his science fiction yet. Uh, but one of the things we specialize in the store is uh, vintage science fiction and pulps. We carry a lot of old magazines. So Hubbard's a, a common yeah. name, especially in, in that yeah. era. Um, you know, I have some wonderful books that I believe Galaxy Press produced um, that ha have a rich history of the right. pulps. And th this is a conversation that I have with a lot of my customers because they've heard of it, but they don't necessarily know what an amazing world and field it was and some of the incredible prolific writers that are household names, but um, people don't necessarily know got their start in that magazine world. Um, so, and, and at one point I lived in Los Angeles, uh, right near the Scientology Center. So I'm definitely familiar. I think when I first moved there, I lived there in the 90s. And on Hollywood Boulevard, there was this amazing display of all the old pulps that, that Hubbard had written for. And I remember gazing in there. And, and, and I didn't know anything about pulp fiction back then. I was a teenager at the time. But I remember gazing at those going, wow, the, the cover art is incredible. And what is this world about? And of course, it took over my life eventually. <laughs> but the uh, the spirit of paying it forward is something that, uh, you know, that Hubbard put forward and that the contest does such an incredible job of. And, um, you know, the contest is really unique. And and one of the things that's been amazing about the contest for me as a, as a contestant is not just receiving the honorable mention, which I proudly have on my wall here, but um, also how kind Joni has been and how personable and when you're first submitting to magazines and you don't know editors and things like that you really don't get that kind of response so it's with the whole contest I was really impressed that you're talking to people on the other end and they and they talk to you like the people it's not just kind of anonymous rejections and things like that um, and every time I received a rejection, uh, you know it was always a graceful one and always an offer of writing advice. And um, probably what I've read most of from Hubbard's work is his articles about mm -hmm. writing, which are, you know, a, as old as some of them are, still perfectly relevant and and wonderful advice. Any particular one that stands uh, out for you? Well, there's been a few featured on the podcast that I found really helpful. I just re-listened to the one about suspense, yeah. which is great, um, and, and everything covered in the class. Uh, not just the articles themselves, but also the commentary added by the teachers, which has been really helpful. And I just got um, Author Services kind enough to give free magazine subscriptions away. I just received that in the mail. Um, so I got to reread some of the articles in the, in the print magazine that I had read uh, in the online course. Good. So um, how did you find out about Writers of the Future then? That's a good question. Uh, in so when I first started seriously writing science fiction in the submission process, uh, I think like most writers, I had no idea where to turn to. I knew of Asimov's, I knew of Analog, right. but that that's aiming pretty high for your first sale. Uh, but aim high, go for it. That's It's great. And I really wasn't sure where to go with it. And I think I was just looking for resources for amateur science fiction writers. And so um, Writers of the Future was one of the first things I found. I also found the James White Award, which happens uh, out of Ireland mm -hmm. and works with Inner Zone Magazine, which is another good resource for, um, for amateur science fiction writers. And as soon as I found out about it, it became a goal. This is, this is what I've got. I've got to take this contest eventually. Um, 
I think like most ambitious young writers, I thought like oh, I can do that within a year, <laughs> you know, but some, some writers, you know, it, it might take decades, but it's that persistence that you need in writing to continue submitting, to continue having the deadlines. And I'm really grateful for this podcast and for the online workshop because hearing the judges talk about what they're looking for put a lot of my rejections into context for me. Things that I just hadn't fully understood about storytelling and the type of things that someone like Orson Scott Carter, Dave Farland are going to be looking for. And that was invaluable information. You know, I don't think as much as I've read, uh, you know, I have countless books on writing and science fiction writing in particular, and it's a subject I'm deeply involved in, but I don't think I'd ever encountered uh, the concept of the try-fail cycle uh, until Dave Farland is explaining it to yeah. me. And invaluable information. And as a, as a contestant, these are things that you must pay attention to because um, it's a unique position to be able to have the judge teach you, have the judges teach and really get to know what they're looking for and the types of storytelling that they love. And it's interesting too, like, like your example in the try-fail cycle, it also changes. When you read stories, all of a sudden you start seeing these, these the try-fail, the I'll just bug your seven parts of a story, Scott Card, how he talks about certain things on, on um, dialogue. You, know, you start seeing how they use them. Oh, that's how it is. And it makes a difference. And all of a sudden, that's how you do it. And the instructors did a wonderful job of demystifying subjects that seem complicated if you don't have a good teacher. Uh, Orson Scott Card's lecture on on dialogue was one of the best I've ever encountered. And he really took the, you know, I think, especially early in in writers' careers, dialogue's one of those tough ones. I know it took me a long time to get over it. And he just took the intimidation factor away from it. You know, you're already an expert. You talk all day. Uh, you just need to pay attention to these yeah. things. No, it is really, really good. And it's, um, they really enjoy it too. They, they love teaching and they really love for themselves. The contest is an important part of their livelihood as, uh, as an author. Several of our judges got their start like Dave Farland when, as Dave Wolverton, he was a grand prize winner in volume three, but Sean Williams was a winner. We had, um, probably about half a dozen of our judges were winners earlier on. And so they're, you know, they've experienced it themselves. And now we've, we literally have thousands of entries from all over the world that happen uh, each year. And it's a, um, it's a testament to the fact that, you know, if you keep on validating and letting people know there's something you can, that you can actually do it and, and validate that, there's a lot more people writing now and feeling comfortable about it. And they didn't throw in the towel. It's always funny when Joni calls somebody and says, congratulations. They say, for what? You're winner of what? And you find out it was the wife that submitted the story because they were so beaten down. Oh, wow. When they get the call and they're like, what, what? You know, so, you know, we're, it, is a, it is a real issue of people not having confidence or having confidence shattered by the ill-meaning friends or by, you know, other factors in life. So it's, um, it's, it's important. I think if I hadn't received an honorable mention early on when I started trying to take it seriously, I don't know that I would have the store today or, or had the faith to keep writing. It was getting that in the mail that just brightened my day, the first good thing that ever happened to me in, in writing. 
and something to instill a, a further goal. I mean, this is a bit corny of me, but I'm sure I'm not the only one that yeah. did it. You know, in dreaming of winning the contest when I received that, I'm writing an acceptance, the, the speech in my head, you know, prematurely. But, um, you know, as as writers and science fiction writers, dreaming about the future is what we yeah. do. So I, I think that can be a real positive thing. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Brandon Sanderson, when I, I was, because I would go up routinely to the uh, uh, conventions up there in Salt Lake City. So at one point I arranged uh, to speak to a science fiction writing class at BYU. And so I spoke and this is why I invited him to become a judge. And um, he told me that, you know, his own story with Rise of the Future as well. He was ready to throw in the towel. And when he got honorable mention in Rise of the Future, he realized, okay, there is a future in it. I mean, obviously his future became very, it was about five months after that, his future all of a sudden exploded with his uh, novels. But prior to that, you know, he was seriously considering becoming a plumber, you know, so it's, Thank God that didn't for happen. Sure, for sure. <laughs> but that's um, Joe Black. He entered the contest. He was a finalist in Rise of the Future. So there's a lot of, of people that Rise of the Future helped give that extra vote of confidence to keep on going, keep on working on it. Rob Sawyer, he entered multiple times. Kevin Anderson, like 25 times. So a lot of the people that we've that we've grown to really love as, as our favorite writers a lot of them got their start with Writers of the Future, or at least it gave them that impetus to keep on going. It, it gives you a reason to be persistent. And the fact that the contest is quarterly and, and that the response times are fairly quick. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things I learned right away in starting the submission process was it can take years sometimes to hear back. With Writers of the Future, you hear back quickly. You never have to wait more than a few months. And if you didn't place this time, you have a, a new goal right away, you know, every 90 days, you're ready to go. And I've found in, in my interaction with the science fiction community, uh, you often don't have to look far for someone that got their start with Writers of the Future. Um, for instance, uh, you know, one day he just walked into the store and we've ended up having him on the podcast and reading events. But James C. Glass, yeah. who's a wonderful science fiction writer who uh, I think was a finalist or, or winner, a winner in the contest. That's right. Uh, qu quite some time ago, but, you know, I'm sitting there reading a book and he walks in and all of a sudden, you know, we're colleagues and we've worked together. And uh, so you really don't have to look far uh, to find the talent that got their start. Yeah, I just did an interview on him. It, his goes up, I think, next week. A podcast interview I did with him just recently. Wonderful writer. And he's uh, we featured him in Simultaneous Times podcast a while ago. Uh, Really, really fun short story yeah. writer and great novelist yeah. too. No, he's um, he's a great guy. He's got a, a lovely wife, and it's just just a real, real nice guy. It's unfortunate that conventions aren't there right now because I always look forward to seeing him either at Lost Con or at one at, at um, San Diego Comic Con or someplace. You know, we were able to go to. So hopefully, we'll be back on track with yeah. those soon. Now, did did conventions play ever much a part for you on your? Um, sales? So it, it's interesting you ask that. Um, as much of a fan as I am, when I, when I discovered science fiction, I didn't know about science fiction fandom. I just read the books. I haunted bookstores and kind of picked things up randomly um, and didn't realize the rich backstory and the world behind uh, science fiction. And it wasn't until doing things like entering the contest and ultimately opening the store that I realized what an important thing that convention circuit was. Um, very sadly, this was the year that Space Cowboy was going to start doing conventions. 
I hoped that Lost Con would be our first one teamed up with some other small publishers to table together and then everything changed. So um, you will find us at conventions soon whenever they're back up and running. But I, uh, I have to say um, the only convention I've ever done is uh, we tabled at Alien Con last yeah. year in Los Angeles, which is more like contact in the yeah. desert than it is a science fiction uh, convention, but it, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, there's cosplay going on sure. and every, every, um, Picardo from Star Trek Voyager was there, which was neat to see him. And, um, you know, uh, a lot of, a lot of fun stuff and alien themed. I'm always yeah. sold. Well, that's good. Do you know Preston Dennett at all? I don't think so. He's a um, he's a regular at contacting the desert, so he goes out there because he's he he's got a lot of nonfiction books on UFOs and discovery and that. But he was our a winner last year in, in volume thirty five. He'd been entering forty plus times. He had he had been entering since the contest first started, and he gave up. And his was the story um, that Dean Wesley Smith talked about about this guy from Topanga Canyon who. Okay. Yeah. yeah it's That's familiar. Yeah. It. So he was the Topanga Canyon story, how he had entered and he just, he totally said, That's it. I, I don't have what it takes. And he just totally went into super apathy on the whole subject of, of science fiction, except for his rise of future books, which he boxed up and put in his closet, everything else he got rid of. And then he gradually got back into it and he discovered that, Judges, I mean, the editors have been talking about him, except they didn't know who it was. It was just this guy from Topanga Canyon. And so he discovered it was him, and then he just said, that's it. He motored on, and then he actually won the contest and was very excited about it. But it's, it isn't necessarily a, a one-shot thing. You know, his, he's got the most at 45. We had another person that was injured 25 times, um, Wolf Moon. Uh, we have a winner this year who's been entering since 2005. So, you know, it's some people, it's a long roll. They just keep on incrementally increasing. And sometimes, like Kevin Anderson, he entered 17 times, and uh, he finally proed out. That's what happened with Scott Card, um, with uh, Rob Sawyer. Yeah, so Rob Sawyer proed out because he'd been submitting, and then he, he turned one of his short stories into a novel, and that was that. So it's, um, it's, just, it's just interesting. So how many times have you submitted to the contest? I think I've entered um, 10 times, a dozen times yeah. maybe. And um, it's still my ambition sure. to win. I, uh, uh, I don't submit every quarter like I did at first, but it's because I have deadlines and writing obligations and sure. other things that I'm doing. I just had my first pro sale. So I better get on that, that quick. <laughs> Cause uh, you know, I, I may, may end up proing out too. Um, but uh it's always been a dream to to take the contest. Yeah. So well, good. So, um, what type of science fiction do you write, or is it fantasy? Um, I write primarily science fiction. It depends. That changes from one thing to another. I, I do write a lot of speculative uh, poetry, yeah. but uh, I also write more traditional kind of fifties pulp style um, science fiction short stories. Uh, my latest novella, which is called Garbage In, Gospel Out, uh, which came out January this year, is um, it was recently called a mix between Philip K. Dick and James Joyce, <laughs> which was kind of a shocker to me, but also I'll take yeah. it. High praise. Um, that one is um, a little more abstract. Uh, it's kind of a loose series of vignettes. Uh, I'm often inspired by the New Wave movement and the New Wave writers 
within the more experimental forms of science fiction. However, uh, I think to write that kind of stuff, you really have to train as a proper storyteller first before you start experimenting and testing the waters and some more aggressive things. Currently, I'm working on uh, an epistolary novella that's straight science fiction, and I'm also working on a um, more mainstream science fiction novel. Uh, so I tend to jump from one place to another. I find that the um, the more straight and mainstream stuff that I'm writing, I will tend to do something really far out and strange at the same time, mm -hmm. kind of so I have a place for for both of those mindsets. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm usually working on several books at once in that regard. And for the most part, for years, I focused on a short story because I think that's really where you should you should hone your craft. Right. Uh, and and get some of the bad ideas and the bad writing out of the way. Um, but the more I get into my career, the more interested I am in long form work and novels. And I, I really like novella length stuff, you know, 100 page books. So I have a lot of fun with that. But I, I do still write short stories. And uh, I don't think I'll ever stop because it's the training ground. It's, it's where to get those juices flowing and to make sure your craft is on point. And um, yeah, so we'll see. But uh, I've been really fortunate to have three books come out in the last few years, as well as an audiobook and uh, some chat books. So slowly but surely, I'm still in the amateur world, but slowly but surely uh, gaining momentum and uh, meeting more and more wonderful people. And that's really been the best thing about writing career in the shop is I didn't used to know any other science fiction writers. And now I'm friends with many. And that's that's the delight because we have similar interests. Generally, it's really lovable people with far out ideas and, you know, creative types. And and to actually be able to uh, get to have these firsthand conversations about science fiction and and where we're going to go with it next. You know, um, I love the paying it forward attitude because. So many of my favorite writers, like Frank Herbert, for instance, I'm never going to get to say thank you. Uh, but I've been put in a position because of the podcast and because of my store where I get to help a lot of younger writers avoid some of the mistakes that a lot of us made blundering through and we didn't have anyone to help us. And uh, that spirit seems pretty unique to science fiction and it sure is a rewarding one. Which is great. So if somebody wants to find your work, where do they go? They just go, I'm assuming it's not just Space Cowboy Bookstore. Um, well, you can find my work there, of course. Um, but uh, for instance, my um, my honorable mention I got from Writers of the Future was for a story called Desert Star, which is featured in this book of short stories that came out in 2018 from Traveling Shoes Press. Uh -huh. so if you look up Traveling Shoes Press, you can find Echo of Creation. It's available both in hardback and paperback. I was Amazingly fortunate to have a hardback of my first yeah, book. That's, that's pretty nice. Pretty uncommon. Um, and then also, uh, Future Anthropology is a collection of my um, speculative poetry and science fiction poetry. Mm -hmm. um, this you can find online, um, bookshop.org, also on Lulu, Amazon if you have to. Um, and then my latest book, uh, Garbaging Gospel Out, you can find on most online venues, but it's also on, on Lulu. And uh, of course, anyone that wants to get in touch with me, Space Cowboy Books at Gmail, I'll send you a personalized copy. Um, I, I love to hear from people directly. So um, anytime we can get in the same room or start a conversation, that's always a preference for me. Um, also, the uh, Odes to Scientists slash Us Clone, which is the audiobook that was released 
last year um, from some live events, uh, reading poetry with the uh, with the composers from my podcast live. Uh, that's up for the Elgin Award this year, and we've made it available for free download for this month during the voting period. So if anyone's interested in that, they can have it for free, and it's available at um, spacecowboybooks.bandcamp.com. And of course, Simultaneous Times podcast is free to listen to on all the all the podcast streaming sites, and you'll find many of my stories featured there, as well as some authors you know and love, like David Brin, Rudy Rucker, DJ Butler, Christopher Rocchio, a lot of wonderful contemporary writers, and a lot of folks that you probably haven't heard of that are producing really great science fiction. That's great. Well, thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure and a lot of fun speaking with you. Indeed. Thank you so much, John. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Writers of the Future podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeart, and Spotify. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Owen Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to new and amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Jean-Paul. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.